Sorry, that loud sound you heard? That was me. Evidently, my mic can't be on when that's going at the same time. And I realized that about halfway through as we were, sounded like a semi was coming down through the auditorium there. But uh, my apologies to that, uh, for that and my apologies to the sound people. I didn't know that. I just turned my microphone on too soon there. So my fault, and uh, I will take responsibility for that. I'm going to start with a question here, which is kind of ironic considering what just happened. But my question was, have you ever experienced a failure in your life? I was more talking along the lines of a spiritual failure, though. Have you ever had something in life where you're like, you know what, um, I'm just not going to do that anymore because I know it's wrong, and, and you go for about three days and you find yourself doing it again, or maybe it's something where you're like, I really think this is something I should add to my life, a, a habit that should be part of my repertoire here, and you really commit to doing it and your efforts kind of go by the wayside after two or three days or two or three hours or two or three minutes, depending on what that thing was. But we all have that situation. We all have that, that um, commonality where we try to do things and we fail or where we say we're not going to do things and we find ourselves um, doing them and, and we're just failures because we have bad, not because we have bad intentions, it's because we have bad follow-through and we just don't have as much willpower as we should have or what we need. Now, let me just tell you, though, if you have experienced that situation, which if I ask for a raise of hands, should be everybody. But if you've had that situation, the question is, what did you do next? Well, my guess is you did one of three things. Maybe you just gave up and said, you know what? What's the point of this? I've tried. I've failed. I'm not going to do this anymore. That might be one response. Another response might be, though, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to try harder. And so you work harder at it and you put more effort into it and maybe you put post-it notes on the wall to remind you or, or, or different things like that. And you try harder, but you still don't necessarily do any better. And so you throw up your hands in frustration and you come to this third thing, which is just simply this. You kind of um, just rationalize it away. Well, you know what? It's not really that big a deal. And I'm not the only one who has this problem. I'm sure other people have this problem. And, you know, um, maybe I'm making a big deal out of something that really shouldn't be that important. We lower the bar. We come up with an excuse or we come up with a, well, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way that I am. So it's not worth the effort anyhow. Let me just say a few things as we get started here this morning. First of all, if you have tried and failed and tried again and failed and tried again and failed, it's not just you. It's every last one of us. And if we're completely honest this morning, if I went through the room and called on you, you could say, well, yeah, there was this, and yeah, there's this. If actually there's this going on right now where I'm experiencing that. We all blow it. The second thing I would say this morning is our natural response to try harder isn't normally going to be particularly effective. Our natural response to try harder so that we can do better is not going to be particularly effective. And let me say this third thing, though. That doesn't mean that you're just, you know, um, destined to defeat. That you're just going to live forever like, well, that'll never work out. I'll never be any better than that because he just told me if I try any harder, it's not going to do any better. I'm not going to do any better. Okay. That's not where we're going because I do think that there is hope this morning. It's just 
that our hope in doing better is not in trying harder. And I know that doesn't sound right, but I think by the time that we're done this morning, you're going to say, oh, okay, that makes sense because of what the Bible actually teaches us. But before we go any further, let me do this, and let, I would like to ask you to participate with me in this. I would like for you to identify an area of life that comes to mind when I talk about this. What is that thing where you failed? Or where is that thing that you continue to fail? What is that thing that's maybe right now driving you crazy? Maybe it's just getting more exercise, or maybe it's like, you know, I need to pray more. Maybe it's like, I need to be more patient and kind with my kids. Uh, maybe it's like, I need to just put this phone down because I'm like addicted to this thing. Maybe it's, I need to worry less. I don't know what your thing is. It doesn't have to be huge, but it's something that's there. And when we talk about this subject this morning, it's not that hard for you to identify. So before we go any further, would you please... Identify that thing in your life, in your story, where you say, man, this is what I wish I would do that I've not been doing or wish I could stop that I, that I keep doing. And I want you to bring that with you as we go through the rest of the message this morning. And as we talk about what the Bible says here, I want you to say, okay, and how does that fit with my situation? Because that's one of the great things about the Bible, isn't it? That it always fits with my situation. So let's get started this morning with a little bit of encouragement because so far we've talked about how you know you're doing bad and how your efforts aren't that worthwhile and, and so maybe you need some encouragement out of the gate and so we're going to go with the old encouragement comes from the cliche misery loves company. So the misery loves company we're going to take you though to a person who can relate to all of us and that's the apostle Paul and we're going to read what he has to say in Romans chapter 7 verse number 15 and we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. So I want to encourage you either with the Bible that you have, or if you've got your phone, you can, you can get there. Uh, look. Uh, you can use your phone, version or Bible Gateway. If you don't have version on your phone, you can use your browser to go to BibleGateway.com, and that'll get you to, to scripture references too. But I want to read these uh, these verses that Paul wrote. But let me just say this about Paul before we go any further. He was arguably the, the, the best Christian in the New Testament. Maybe the best Christian of all time, I don't know. And I don't know how you rank those things, but, but he was a pillar of the church. In fact, he went through the known world at that time starting churches. And there's a good chance that we're sitting here today because whoever led us to Christ was led to Christ by somebody who was led to Christ by somebody that could probably trace this ancestry all the way back to the Apostle Paul in one of the churches that, that he would have started in the Gentile world. He not only started all kinds of churches, he wrote all kinds of letters which became books of the New Testament, 12, 13 books that he was actually the author of. He mentored and discipled many believers and he had enough spiritual confidence to say this. Can you imagine this? Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you imagine saying to somebody, follow me, and if you do exactly what I do, you're going to be a good Christian? Okay, that's the kind of person that Paul was. He had that much confidence, and yet he says this about himself. Are you ready? Romans chapter 7, verse number 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Sounds like us, doesn't it? You know what I want to do? I'm really trying hard, and then I fail. 
And then there was those things that, no, I'm not doing that. And then I fail again. But he's not done here. He keeps on going. And he adds to this. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer myself who do it, but sin is living in me. So these things that I don't want to do that I keep doing, it's because I have this sin problem in my life. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That's not my sinful nature. For I have this desire to do good, but it's not enough of a desire because I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, well, that I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I, but it's sin living in me that makes me do that. So I find this law at work that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And so he says, hey, the things that I should do, I'm a failure. The things that I shouldn't do, yep, I'm a failure there too. I either don't have enough desire, I don't have enough willpower, but I just keep failing. I can't pull it off, and sin still wins. And we get to verse number 24, and he says this, What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. And have you ever experienced this? Depending on what the issue is that's just driving you crazy in your life, have you ever gotten to the place where you're like, gosh, I'm never going to get this. I am such a spiritual loser here. This, I, I'm, I'm going to live the rest of my life just carrying this around. And there's that emotional angst that comes with it. This is where Paul is. He's like, I'm at wit's end. I do not know what to do. This is driving me crazy. And then he says this, and he asks this next. And let me just pause for a minute. Could somebody run and get me some water? I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but every once in a while, the communion wafers get you. And it got me this morning, okay? I'm really struggling, thank you. Back to the message. Paul asked this question. Who will rescue me? Oh, that fast. Thank you. That's like so apropos, isn't it? Isn't it like one of the one of the taglines of Gatorade, is it in you? As we talk about the Holy Spirit. I love it, okay? <laughs> Thank you. To try to get us back on track here a little bit. <clears throat> Paul's frustrated, and he comes out with this question, who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? And it's not so much a question as it is a, a cry for help. Who will rescue me? But don't miss the importance of this statement right here in this whole passage. Because Paul realizes something that's super important for us to get this morning. He couldn't fix himself. Here was Paul, the great Christian of the New Testament. Here is Paul, the great Christian of the New Testament, who is failing left and right by his own testimony. And he's not good enough in his in his life, evidently, to save himself. And so he asks this question, who's going to rescue me? Because if somebody doesn't rescue me, I'm spiritually toast here. Most of us don't get to this place in our situations. And I think this is really a starting point of when we're dealing with these these issues in our life that we can't get the win is to realize that we can't get the win. 
We need to come to the place that we need help and that there's going to have to be someone or something outside of us that's going to bring the victory to us. And so Paul is asked this question, can anybody rescue me? And then he goes ahead in the next verse and he answers his question, and this gets pretty good. He says this, verse number 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank goodness, yes, somebody can rescue me. God can rescue me. Specifically, Jesus can rescue me. And how does Jesus rescue us? Well, Jesus rescues us and rescued us through what he did when he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took our sins on the cross. We've celebrated that with communion. But he took our sins on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be condemned and so that we wouldn't be guilty and so that we wouldn't have to die for those sins. And so the penalty of sin has been defeated and sin itself has been defeated on the cross. And the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin has been broken too. The power of sin condemned everybody to death and Jesus is not anymore. And so that power that condemned people and the power that trips us up, that's been broken too. Now the one thing that Jesus' death on the cross did not do was deliver us from the presence of sin. So from the penalty, yes, from the power, not from the presence. And so we still have sin in our world and we still have sin even in ourselves. And so we still deal with that sin issue. And so that's why we continue to struggle. Because the presence of sin was not eliminated, but the power of sin was defeated. So we now have this opportunity or this potential to actually live above whatever this is that's pulling us down. Well, we keep reading on into chapter 8. Because when Paul wrote this, it was just this big, long letter. There were no chapter and verse divisions, and he wasn't done yet. So he says, who can deliver us? Well, Jesus can. In verse number 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was condemned in your place. All of your sins, he took as his sins, and he took the judgment on himself so that we never have to pay for our sins. We never have to worry about hell. But let me hit the pause button here for a minute to say this. Jesus was judged for my sins. Jesus was judged for your sins. Jesus was judged for those times when I failed to live up to the expectation I have for myself. Jesus was judged for those times when I just plain old blew it. But when I fail, what's the first thing that happens? I judge myself. Well, I'm such a spiritual loser here. Well, I just blew it again. Well, God must really be unhappy with me and really be frustrated with me. Well, I have no discipline. That's condemnation, and that doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy, and it's one of his tools to get us off track. And we move into the shame and guilt and remorse and regret, and it's just like, oh. And it's this dark cloud, and it's this oppressive presence that keeps us from moving forward, and it tempts us, and it encourages us to give up. There's no, not, there's no condemnation in Christ. Now, if we sin, we need to make that right with God, but we can move on from there. But Paul's not done yet. He says, so Jesus can help me in what he did on the cross. But look at the next verse. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free and has set me free from the law of sin and death. So when Jesus saved you, he dealt with all your sins, but something else happened. He also gave you the Holy Spirit to come into your life 
and this changes the playing field, and let me explain how. Paul's been talking about, if you go back there in, in some of the verses we didn't read there in, in Romans chapter 7, he's been talking about the law a lot. And the law was the Old Testament um, way that faith worked. God gave the Ten Commandments and then more in addition to that. And he gave them to his people and said, okay, as my followers, here are the rules that I expect you to live by. And they had all these rules and they did a really lousy job of living by them. All through time, everybody, and they were just constantly, there was, there was a, a remediation step where you could give a sacrifice, but they were constantly having to do these sacrifices because they kept failing. God had given them this box to live in and they just kept stepping outside the box constantly. And so, in the New Testament, when Jesus died for our sins, in a sense, he took that box out of the picture. At least as far as living in the box, and he puts the box inside of us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So instead now of having all these rules out here, that I, and all these walls that I can't bang into, we now have the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go there. No, this would be... This would not be a good idea. This would be a much better idea there. And we go from these external restraints to an internal person who is guiding us and leading us and actually helping us. See, nobody could measure up. But, but the fact that we have these things like the Ten Commandments, there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments, obviously. But they keep telling us what? That you're not good enough. And they keep telling us that, that you're never going to make it. And they keep reinforcing this idea of failure. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and says, hey, I've got a new plan here. In fact, my new plan is going to be victory. And my new plan is going to be freedom. In fact, what do we read there in that verse? Two things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us life. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us freedom. And we're going to come back to those in just a minute. Let's keep reading. Verse number 5, pick up there. Those who are living according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so we bring another element in here. We've got life, we've got freedom, we're going to bring desire into the picture. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And what he's saying here is, if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside you, well, then you can please God because you have a new mind, you have a new life, you have a new heart. If you don't, you can't please God, and you never will be able to. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're incapable of doing so. So verse number 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even in your body, is, even your body is subject to death because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. And he talks about the power of the Spirit. We Chris read these verses earlier, and we sang a song about the power of the Spirit. And so what Paul is doing here in Romans 8 is he's answering the question he asked right there at the end of Romans 7. The question was, who's going to rescue me? Well, Jesus is going to rescue me, but the Holy Spirit is going to rescue me. And how is the Holy Spirit going to rescue me? Because he's going to bring life, and he's going to bring freedom, and he's going to bring desire, and he's going to bring power 
into my story. But don't miss this. The secret for us to do better is not to try harder because trying harder is something that I do. The secret for us to do better is not what we do. It's a matter of, not a matter of do, it's a matter of who. And it's the matter of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, who's working to change who we actually are. And so we always act out of who we are, and me, most of the time, put all the emphasis on changing our behavior, and God says, no, 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 I got a better, got a better plan. We're going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you who's going to change your character, and as he changes your character, that will change your behavior. So how does this all work? Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've, we've hit in our, in our study on Thessalonians, and then as, as we looked at even last week got into this Holy Spirit um, uh, series, we talked about this idea of sanctification. First of all, that we're set apart as belonging to God, but secondly, sanctification is this process where God makes us more like he wants us to be. God makes us more like who we are created to be, and God makes us more who Christ is so that we look more and more like Christ. And so what this is actually talking about right here is how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us or how the Holy Spirit changes us, or how the Holy Spirit helps us with whatever that thing is that you identified, how he helps you do better. First of all, it's this. And I have no idea where we are in our notes. Okay, good. He gives us life. The Bible talks about us being dead in our sins. Paul says this in Ephesians. Paul says this in Colossians. He said, hey, you are dead in your sin. Well, what does it mean to be dead? It means to be lifeless. And if something is dead in lifeness, it has no ability to give life to itself. Something that is dead is going to remain dead forever. Unless something or someone gives it life. And that is what the role of the Holy Spirit is. He comes and he makes us spiritually alive. In John 3, it talks about you have to be born of the Spirit, this new birth. He gives life. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about a new creation. He recreates us. And do you remember in the creation story how God breathed into Adam the breath of life? The Holy Spirit breathes into our dead souls the breath of life, and we become alive spiritually. And that means that we can respond to God. That means that we can do things that please God. That means that we can do good things in our lives. And we are alive spiritually. And this happens when we trust Christ. The Holy Spirit presence comes into us and it starts to change who we are. Now let me just take a little bit of a side road here for, for, for just a couple seconds this morning. Oftentimes we talk about this when a person comes to Christ. How do we know that that person trusted Christ? And we would answer this way, well, because I prayed the sinner's prayer. The truth of the matter is that you can pray the sinner's prayer without trusting Christ. And the proof that you've trusted Christ is not that you've prayed the sinner's prayer. And I'm not here to discourage you if you prayed the sinner's prayer. The proof of the fact that you've trusted Christ is that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside you and has given you spiritual life. Now, for many people, that happens when you pray that prayer because it's an admission finally. Okay, God, I'm not good enough. I need you, Jesus. I believe you died for me on the cross. Forgive my sins. Please come into my story. And that's what happens. And the Holy Spirit comes into us. But the proof is not in the prayer. The proof is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's sometimes where you can say, well, that person, you know, claims to be a Christian. You know, they prayed the prayer, but man, there's nothing that seems to be any different in their lives. Well, that's concerning because the spirit should be evident. That's also why for some people, they struggle to say, I'm not exactly sure when I became a Christian. And yet, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, I'm putting my total faith and trust in him, and my life has been changed. That's why it's because we've passed from death to life, but the crossing is not a prayer. It's the crossing is the presence of the Holy Spirit who comes into our life, and he makes us alive, and he awakens us spiritually, and he changes us more than we change. And that's really important. The second thing here is that he gives freedom. Freedom from what? Well, he gives us freedom from sin. Holy Spirit here. He gives us freedom from death. He, he, uh, spiritually. He, he gives us freedom from our past, from our failures. He gives us freedom from our natural tendency. He gives us freedom from what Paul was talking about here to say, all oh, this evil that lives in me, the Holy Spirit gives me freedom from that power that wants to, 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 to mess me up here. And he also gives us freedom from condemnation. We talked about that a little bit. The Holy Spirit gives us freedom, and he gives us freedom most of all, not over the presence of sin, but of the power of sin in our lives. So if you have trusted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, you do not have to be defeated by whatever that thing is that's defeating you right now. You're free. You're free to leave. You're free to walk out of that room. You're free to walk in a different direction. You are free. And the Holy Spirit is committed to that freedom. In fact, it calls him the spirit of freedom. And I think we lose sight of this sometimes, that the Holy Spirit is more committed to our freedom than we are. I read somebody this week, and I'll paraphrase what they said, and I love it. I feel like my life is an exercise in discovering just how much more God is committed to my freedom than I am. So think about that. Whatever that thing is and that you've already had running through your mind here, that you're trying to work through and get over and conquer, the Holy Spirit is more committed to your victory than even you are. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? Because of this next thing here, the Holy Spirit gives desire. And when a person trusts Christ, one of the things that he should notice is that his desires should change. And one of the things that he should notice, too, is even his desires to do good, which you can have without trusting Christ. But those desires are intensified. And Paul says that. He says, I desire to good, do good. But back in chapter 7, I desire to good, but I find that my desire to do bad is stronger than my desire to do good. Well, here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit keeps ramping up that desire until we get that desire to do what's right, to do what's good, and it becomes stronger than that old desire that used to drive us and used to dominate us. And the Holy Spirit gives us desire. And then the Holy Spirit, and Chris talked about this already, the Holy Spirit gives us power. We ultimately can't do good. We ultimately can't defeat sin. We ultimately can't get on top of whatever that thing is that's driving us nuts on our own. Paul said that. Who's going to help me? And then he says the Holy Spirit can. And it's the Holy Spirit who, and when we read this back in those verses we just looked at, who was strong enough and powerful enough to raise the dead to life, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus to life. The Holy Spirit raises our dead souls to life. That kind of power, that kind of resurrection power lives inside of us. It's not something that we access 
from the outside. It's something that, that is placed inside of us with the Holy Spirit, and we have that kind of power in us to defeat sin in our lives. We don't have to lose. Now, we do, but we don't have to. We have all the power that we need to win in our lives. And so if we take these four things here that this Romans 8 teaches us about the Holy Spirit, and we put them all into one word, the word would be this, grace. The Holy Spirit gives grace in our lives. And a definition of grace, and this is not a complete definition, but it's a good definition of grace, it's the desire and ability to do what's right. Grace is the desire and the ability to do what's right. And so the Holy Spirit essentially is the grace of God at work in your life. And the term that we use for this is he enables us. The Holy Spirit enables us. He comes, he gives us his presence, he gives us his power so that we can say to whatever that is that's driving us crazy, we don't have to stay there. We can win in this situation. But here's the caveat. The Holy Spirit enables us with his grace as we live in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse number five there of Romans chapter eight. It said, those who live according to their flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. See, while it's all on him, and it is, because we're dead, because we have no ability, because we can't make ourselves alive, because we don't have this power. Paul, Paul already said that. While it's, it's not on us, there's still an element where it is on us because God comes with his power through the Holy Spirit, but we have to live in accordance with the Spirit, what it says here. It's like God drives the car down the road, but we need to get our hands on the steering wheel. It's like you're mowing your yard with a, with a, with a mower that's, that's self-propelled, but you've got to squeeze the handle to make the propulsion go. It's a partnership. It's a cooperation between the two of us. Because God never takes away our ability to choose. So when it comes to God changing our lives, there's always going to be a choice factor that's involved. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he shows up on our doorstep with all of these things, with life, with, with, with uh, freedom, with desire, with power, and he knocks on the door and he waits for us to accept what he gives us and to appropriate it and, and to put that into practice in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, here's the deal. We need less willpower and more spirit power, and it shows up like this. By, first of all, being more aware of the Holy Spirit. We live in a spiritual world, and we get that, but we forget that. And so what I would encourage us with if you're dealing with that is to look at whatever that situation, that thing is, and say, okay, what does the Holy Spirit want to do with this? And we live in a very natural world. We're very aware of all of our physical surroundings, all the things we can touch and taste and feel and smell and all these things. But there is this realm too, this spiritual realm where God is at work outside of us and inside of us, but we need to be more aware of him in our world around us. That means that in our own personal lives, the Holy Spirit may be bringing thoughts to our minds. He may be reminding of, of scripture versions. He may be arranging circumstances in, in our lives. He may be tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, here's something that you ought to be thinking about. He may be growing a desire in you. He may be giving you a direction. But the Holy Spirit is working in your life 
Are you aware of his working? And we're going to keep talking about how he does that through the rest of this series, but we need a greater awareness. And sometimes we just need to stop and slow down and listen and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you doing? And when we get to that situation that's just like, oh, that's just beating on me, maybe the Holy Spirit's right there saying, okay, but let me help you. So first of all, we need an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we need to make the Word of God a priority. It's interesting to me that the Bible is called the Word of Truth. That's John 17, 17. John 16, 13, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. We're actually told in 1 Peter 1, 21 and 2 Timothy 3, 16 that we have this Bible because the Holy Spirit gave it to men and they wrote it down. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the Word of God. So here's a really, really key principle. We have the Spirit of Truth and the Word of Truth, and they go together like this, and they work in our lives to change us. And so if we're going to be changed by the Holy Spirit, we've got to make a commitment to the Word of God. It's interesting to me, too, that the Word of God is also called the Word of Grace. Grace, that ability and that desire to do what's right. As we build the Word of God into our lives, God uses that to bring grace to us. The Holy Spirit uses that to change us. And Bible consumption and, and, and living in God's Word has an effect on us. Where we don't change ourselves, but God changes us. A third thing here is we need to address our thought life, and we're not going to go into a lot of time to talk about this, but it's in this passage, and it shows up in other places too. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, Ephesians chapter 4, the back half of this passage, is that the Holy Spirit changes us by changing our thinking. Of course, we change our thinking by exposing it to the truth, to the word of truth, but if we are going to change, we have to be aware of the fact that our thinking has to change. A fourth thing here, we need to engage in prayer. And what are we praying for? We're praying for God's help through the Holy Spirit. And you can pray by addressing the Holy Spirit. We don't often do that. We often start our prayer, our Heavenly Father or dear Jesus. But you can pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God, and that's totally fine. And sometimes we just need to say, Holy Spirit, I need your help today. Holy Spirit, I need grace I know I find this in my own personal life that sometimes in the morning when there's something that I'm really wrestling with that my prayer is this, Holy Spirit, I need, first of all, desire because I don't even really want to do well in this area today. So would you give me the desire to want to? And then when you give me that desire to when that temptation comes to either say yes as I should or no as I should. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews 4.16 which says this, let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can find grace to help us in our time of need. And so God is saying to us, hey, come, pray, ask for help. And one of the simplest, easiest things that you can do is say, Holy Spirit, I need your help right now. And then finally, we need to live in intentional partnership. See, if it's just about you, you're always going to fail. It needs to be the Holy Spirit. And we need to, to have this, this idea of the Holy Spirit working in us. And I brought these puppets, and it's not a great illustration, but I think it will make sense. Because we can put these puppets up here on this table, and those puppets will still be there next week unless something happens. And what is it? Unless somebody moves them, because they have no life in and of themselves. And this is the idea of the Holy Spirit, like the hand of God, who can come into our lives and can give us life. 
Now, it's not a great illustration, I realize, because this guy is not ultimately alive. But could a moment this morning, could you pretend that he was alive? But he only turns his head as the, as the hand turns the head. And it's just like the Holy Spirit in our lives. He turns us, or we turn as he turns us. And, and, and he only speaks as the hand helps him speak. But we only say what the Holy Spirit helps us say. And the Holy Spirit is God coming into our lives and giving us direction and giving us attitudes and giving us thoughts and giving us words and giving us actions and giving us victory in our lives. But we have to live in this partnership where it's not just me trying harder, where it's me saying, Holy Spirit, please help me. And as you help me, I will do my best to walk in obedience to what your word says, to what you're, what you're saying, Holy Spirit. I want to be in partnership, but I know I can't do it on my own, so I am begging you to come into my life. Because here's the deal. He is the helper. That's his name. And he comes to help us with these areas of our lives that we just can't get on top of. He comes and says, I will help you. I have the power. So stop trying harder. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, let's just address you this morning. And first of all, express thanks for the fact that you have so much invested in us, that you have so much desire for us to be better, to do better. We're a mess. We can't do this on our own. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Please help us. Please help us to commit to your word. Please help us to commit to prayer. Please help us to commit to, to choosing the right thoughts. Please help us to commit to this awareness that we need. And please help us to commit to this partnership where as you move your hand, as it were, that we move to. Holy Spirit, please do this in our lives. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me ask two questions as I finish this morning. First of all, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ because that's the moment when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's a conversation. It's, it's a faith. It may be expressed in a prayer. We ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your life. If you've never done that, I'd ask you to do that this morning, to think about that. If you have questions about it, please come find me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it. But Christian, you've done that. The Holy Spirit lives inside you, and there's something in you that he wants to change. Maybe you identified it at the very start this morning. As we sing this last song, let's use this as a time for reflection, but as a time for us to, to make that, that commitment and invitation at the same time to say, Holy Spirit, please help me here. Please help me here. And so we finish our service this morning, Holy Spirit. Hopefully you've spoken through me, hopefully you've spoken into the hearts of your people. I pray that you would help us to win this week. I pray that you enable us in incredible ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.